from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm joined this week by a very special guest. She's getting ready to leave town. She's been here with us for a few years now. Um, I will let her share her background um, and go over everything else in detail. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year Internet security veteran. Uh, and this week we're going to be talking about the U.S. Air Force uh, cyber operations here in San Antonio, and specifically the, the 24th. And uh, Sherry, can you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and uh, uh, share with the audience how you got involved? Sure. So I'm Sherry Hansen. I am currently the executive director for the 24th Air Force, which is a numbered Air Force here in San Antonio. My career started back in 1989. I'm an operations research analyst um, by education and experience. And um, my first position was on Security Hill in Building 2000, working for the Air Force Electronic Warfare Center which very quickly morphed into the Air Force Information Warfare Center, which is the beginnings of um, the 24th Air Force that we have today. So back in the early 90s, I believe it was around 1992, we stood up the first um, Air Force Computer Emergency Response Team that was part of um, the Air Force Information Warfare Center. Um, there were a lot of activities that have taken place since then, and part of the um, Air Force Information Warfare Center was split up. Part of it moved to Barksdale, which is in Louisiana, and was part of Global Strike um, as a major command with the Air Force. Uh, about seven years ago, those pieces were pulled back together and brought back to San Antonio, and um, we had the 24th Air Force, which is also the Air Force Cyber Command, and also the, Air, the Joint Force Headquarters for Cyber. So General Wegman is a two-star general, is the commander. He wears three different hats. There's three different organizations that he commands. And, and so the, the 24th Air Force is uh, all of the, the operations for the cyber, but then, as you, you said, so General Wegman uh, works with that, but then the other hats related to NSA and other uh, non-Air Force command as well? So the Joint Force Headquarters Cyber, each one of the services, so the Navy and the Army also have um, a JFHQC, and that is where our offensive operations take place. There's you know, not a whole lot that we can talk about here on the radio, but just rest assured that um, we are on the front lines every day. We are um, conducting cyber, cyber effects in war. It is not cyber war, but we are conducting those effects at the request and authority of the President of the United States. That's where the intelligence comes in, is to be able to help us understand what our threat adversaries are and for, our, for us to be able to provide um, information and data for commanders to make risk-based decisions on how they're, how they're going to conduct their mission. Yeah, and uh, this is, I mean, really the, the changing um, landscape of uh, the military going uh, from uh, boots on the ground to uh, fingers on the keyboard. Uh, and I think, uh, is, yeah, Sherry can't talk too much about it, but uh, from my industry reading and research, uh, I think, rest assured, uh, the U.S. military is doing an excellent job at training the best and the brightest um, in comparison to uh, everyone across the world. So 
um, the, yes, the we things, are. yeah, the things that we've been and seen uh, over the last uh, 50, I guess even 100 years with the, the U.S. military, uh, we're seeing that same thing transition into the, the cyber landscape as uh, the things have changed uh, there on the, the battlefront. That's right. Yeah. So we, we've uh, made this evolution here. So it's it started back, uh, you said Security Hill, and this was like signals intelligence. Yes, it yeah. was. Can you explain the Air just, Intelligence Agency yeah. is what we were under at that time. Can you explain some of the audience just like what is signals intelligence uh, at, at a, a broad level? If not, we can go. I could go to somewhere else there. Signals intelligence is pretty much what the name says. So there's the electromagnetic spectrum, um, and we have the capability to be able to pick up some of those signals and um, determine. Um, behavior patterns of what our adversary is is doing yeah so yeah if you, you read online and all these things about the collection of, of metadata from your phone company or Google's collecting that information that metadata about you on the internet or all those things um, you can collect metadata off of radio waves you can connect metadata off of all sorts of, of things your credit card purchasing patterns and everywhere and if you've got the talented teams of data analysts you can learn quite a bit from that information so uh, this is it and as we've transitioned into the the digital age on the internet um, this it signals intelligence was analog for the listeners out there this is uh, broadcast raves like you're listening if you're listening right now on 1200 WAI over the air on your AM radio signals intelligence is intelligence about that exact thing it's just not maybe it just a, a unidirectional broadcast instead of a a radio broadcast trying to reach a large territory or audience uh, and the so taking many of these practices and uh, procedures and processes have just evolved from the different mediums of whether you're uh, looking at uh, physical photographs to get metadata from number of cars in a parking lot on a given day at a facility to now looking at the number of visitors to an IP address so uh, it, it's interesting to see where like our, I think military and, and the government gets a little bit unfairly picked on and sometimes from being slow to change and slow to evolve um, and being uh, behind the curve in some of these areas. But I really, um, I, it's interesting to me to see how well, um, I, from my perspective, we're doing on uh, these transitions from the cyber. So that, that just the amount of training, um, the, where the people are going. We had on Tech Sergeant uh, Diami Baker who does cyber-specific recruiting for the reserves and for the Air Force here. So if you um, want to learn more about joining um, and getting involved in this mission, you can listen to our uh, past episodes on iTunes, uh, Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or YouTube. Um, and going through uh, on this mission overall. So we've got the, the 24th Air Force here in town now. This uh, signals intelligence has evolved into digital internet intelligence. Uh, and uh, Major General Wegman was up uh, recently with the Senate Armed Services Committee talking about some of this transition. Can you help share for our, our audience some of the things that uh, are getting covered out there that uh, we, we can go into? Well, there's really three strategic initiatives that are... Um transitioning our force and um, the Air Force has historically been focused on IT services and transitioning those efforts towards more of a 21st century environment and most importantly a threat and risk-based mission assurance cyber ecosystem um, that really focuses on delivering mission critical data 
to the commander as well as our cyber operators. So we have three, um, I would say, pretty major initiatives that we're undertaking to help provide those capabilities. The first one is um, our Air Force Information Dominance Platform. We fondly refer to that as the AFIDUP. We also have the Cyber Squadron Initiative, which provides mission defense teams at the base level. And we have something called the CROWS Office. That's the Cyber Resiliency of Four Weapon Systems that the Air Force Material Command has recently stood up that has really helped us tackle our legacy systems where we can try and bake cyber into some of the systems that are still under development. But probably our biggest challenge are our legacy systems. Some of them are still analog. Some of them are running operating systems that um, are no longer supported. So how do we um, be able to provide mission assurance for some of those systems? And I can go into more detail on those three if if you would like. Yeah, and, and I think as, as she talks a little bit about the embedded system, so I mean, you, you see some of these movies or shows out there or um, there's even spots now in the U.S. here where if you want, you can buy a decommissioned missile silo. But there's um, many deployments and systems that it's it's not like just going down to Best Buy and buying a new laptop. Um, you go, well, why did the Air Force not update the operating system on this? Um, the hardware and all of the circuitry and all of the space in that device have been designed, and that device is still operational, whatever, whether it's a, a weapon or an airplane or uh, all sorts of different things. And going back to retrofit that stuff is not really a feasible project. So you have these cyber teams that are tasked with some of the most complicated uh, security requirements because these are very valuable assets with potentially uh, very complicated systems to secure because all of these as well in an ideal world now uh, would be connected to one of the various networks that the the military operates instead of being air-gapped because if you've got air-gapped systems, that's one way to keep them safe, but it's also one way to make them not very user-friendly. That's right. So if we could step back just a little bit and understand a little bit about the mission of the 24th Air Force. We have six lines of effort, and General Wegman loves sticky phrases, so it's called BOSD. We build, operate, secure, defend, extend, and engage Air Force networks. What does that key terrain look like? Well, of course, a lot of it is um, our infrastructure, so that includes SCADA and ICS. Um, it's business systems, logistic systems, weapon systems, and everything that goes to support those weapon systems. So um, we have about a million users that we provide um, that capability support to, but um, it's very challenging when you start thinking about, you know, we're building an infrastructure, we're trying to operate it, we're trying to secure it in a proactive fashion so that um, you can't always be 100% secure. So it has to be threat-based. We have to understand where the threat is. Hopefully we can be a little proactive in securing so that we're not always reactive in defending um, our key terrain. So um, extending is um, part of our fifth combat com, which um, is down at Robbins Air Force Base. And they extend into areas that we don't have that built-in infrastructure. And then of course we engage um, with our adversaries at a time and place of our choosing that is authorized by the President of the United States. Part of um, 
the AFIDIP, the Air Force Information Dominance Platform, we've realized that we really don't have um, a reference network architecture to help inform any of our resourcing decisions so that we're all building towards a common platform that's a little more homogeneous. So we are um, working with the Air Force CIO office and trying to um, establish some of what those standards look like so that we can build that um, standardized um, network enterprise architecture. And uh, is you're going to off uh, leaving town here to go to the, the War College for this next year. That's right. um, and, and you, you work um, as well now in your current capacity with some of the academia. I know we have some standards and policy development going on over here at UTSA. Is this interrelated at all? Are these um, separate efforts? Uh, I know NIST has also published uh, this year some new guidelines for all federal contractors. They've gotten more specific uh, about some of the 800 series and, and how the, the different contractors need to implement that. Uh, as we're looking to build these frameworks out, are these is there collaboration with academia and the Air Force on this, or are these two separate Projects. There, there's absolutely cooperation um, with the academic community. So it's not just here locally in San Antonio, but um, it's across across the country as well. So we're trying to build some of those relationships and partnerships. There's research areas that we would like to partner with some of the academic institutions with. Um, right now, we do work with Greg White and um, I forget the full name of it. It's the Computer Security Information Assurance um, Program out uh, at UTSA. A Academia has almost as many acronyms <laughs> as do. the military. Yes. Yeah. We had Dr. White on the program talking about that as well. If uh, you can pop into those past episodes uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Right. So we work with them. Nicole Beebe, Dr. Beebe from their business school is um, doing some incredible things with data analytics. And again, partner th partnering with the 24th Air Force. And um, I'm on the board of advisors with the College of Engineering. So establishing a new computer engineering program, as well as trying to um, develop some core courses within the other engineering disciplines that would include some cybersecurity knowledge. Even if you're electrical engineering, chemical engineering, some of those areas are, you know, these students are gonna be developing our industrial control systems in the future. So for them, for them to have some basic understanding about designing in a way that you can secure um, your, um, your infrastructure is very important for us to partner with. The Air Force Institute of Technology at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio is another one that we partner with, as well as the Air Force um, Technology Center of Excellence, also at Wright-Patterson. So we have a lot of um, masters and PhD level students that are doing some uh, research projects for us. And we provide them the data, we provide them the problem sets. Um, sometimes we provide them the hypothesis that we would like for them to you know, prove or disprove within their research areas. So it's uh, great uh, to see the collaboration. And I think these are, are some of the things that um, you guys don't get enough credit for. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to get it out there on the air and, and uh, really share that um, while there's lots of top secret things and there's lots of you have to have a clearance to be involved, um, there's also lots of ways you can get involved in this without having to have a clearance, without having to do top secret mission-specific work. As Sherry talked through there, uh, about the industrial control systems, uh, your work in collaboration with the Air Force, if you're in academia, can help us have safer and better power plants and uh, 
safer water systems and uh, all the rest of these things because those industrial control systems might have been analog over the last hundred years uh, but they're all going online now you're getting smart meters at your house you're getting smart connected things into the grid um, and into the the water systems uh, to check and measure everything so as those all get connected those industrial engineers need to understand that risk and security threat analysis perspective Absolutely. And some people may wonder, why are we concerned at the national level about some of our ICS SCADA infrastructure? Well, bases have um, our own ICS and SCADA systems that are from the same manufacturers. So um, it's not so much from a national platform that we're, we're interested, but definitely from a base level perspective, we do have that same type of infrastructure that we're responsible for protecting. Yeah. Oh, and, and um, all of your... Uh soldiers there uh, if they're enlisted and their family lives in some city and the power and water supply has been attacked in that city they're going to do their best to stay on mission um, but they're used to being the ones that go out there and take the risk they're not used to to their spouse and their children and their family at home actually being the one under attack so uh, that uh, being able to protect and defend our infrastructure um, helps both i think the bases but it also helps um, all of those enlisted folks be able to focus on the mission at hand as well. Absolutely. So uh, you've spent uh, three years here in San Antonio. You've also spent uh, quite a bit of your career up in the, the Virginia area as you anyone involved in cyber. Um, you've spent probably a lot of time flying back and forth between San Antonio and there uh, as well. Uh, what's uh, one of your, your favorite things about living down here for our, our audience? Well, I'm actually originally from San Antonio, so this is home. Oh, that's and wonderful. <laughs> I spent about 17 years um, away from San Antonio, so it was it was very rewarding and exciting. My family was very excited when I came back to San Antonio, so it was a very difficult decision to choose to leave again to pursue, you know, my career um, a little bit further and by attending the Air War College. Yeah, and. But I love San Antonio. This is where I hope to come back. Uh, give me about three or four years, and hopefully I'll be back. So so a year at the, the War College, and then it sounds like you have an assignment tied to that that's maybe not here in San Antonio? That's right. Yeah. So I have to do a Pentagon tour. Even though I spent um, six and a half years in the Maryland and Virginia area, I never worked in the Pentagon on the air staff or I've also worked for the Army. I worked for the Army for six and a half years, and I was never on the Army staff. So that's one of those boxes you have to check. And I really believe that there's policy and strategy that is being developed right now that um, someone with my experience, especially as an ORSA background, as an analyst, can help provide um, some of that those data-driven decisions and help influence some of the policy and strategic initiatives that we're working on right now up in the Pentagon. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a critical time in the development of much of this. Uh, you uh, have, uh, for listeners out there, if you don't follow along on uh, all of the, the details of what's going on in the cyber uh, world, you, you even have private sector um, general counsel. He's actually the chief legal officer at Microsoft, uh, Brad Smith has asked for uh, nations to get together for a what he called a fourth Geneva Convention to discuss what are the cyber rules of war. Um, Congressman Hurd uh, here from Texas has also talked about that, is that there's not a lot of clear lines and boundaries drawn. So um, yeah, you getting up there and getting involved in this over the next um, five to 10 years, um, these type of things don't happen too quickly. Uh, it's going to be important, and having folks that have, have you, like you that have been spent time with the folks doing the actual operations work back there in the policy and planning, 
uh, makes those policies much more effective than they are if you're doing from a pure academic perspective. That's right, and I think we need to completely rethink the nature of war. So I believe it's um, the um, either the assistant or the undersecretary, um, Mr. Work, actually was just speaking. I think it was at a conference about artificial intelligence and the AI role in future conflict. So we're going to have um, machine learning. We're going to have artificial intelligence. We already have massive amounts of data. It's not, it's not information. It hasn't been synthesized and analyzed to be able to be presented to the decision makers. So we need a way of being able to, we have tons of sensors on our, on our networks and our mission systems. We need a way of being able to consolidate that information. Big data analytics is a, is a big common term right now, but so is artificial intelligence. And what roles do, do both of those capabilities and technologies have in the future of cyberspace operations for the military. Yeah, and it, that the data explosion uh, is impacting uh, businesses everywhere. You have some that are, are doing real well to take advantage of it now. Um, Rolls-Royce um, in their uh, aeronautic then engine, uh, jet engine divisions done an excellent job at this for a long time, uh, where they've got sensors on all of their equipment and that uh, sends back after each flight and they actually proactively will send parts out ahead of uh, when the engine's going to have a, an issue with it. So they've been using that predictive analytics and big data in, in the sense on their down to the specific engines for, for years. There's a number of write-ups out there across the Internet if you go look on uh, what they've been doing. But we're starting to see this uh, I mean, across uh, many more things now as um, computing costs have continued to decrease, as storage costs continue to uh, decrease on holding that bulk data. Uh, it now makes it feasible to analyze all sorts of things that were, were not feasible uh, even just a few years ago. And everything has some type of um, zero and one exchange these days. We talk about the Internet of Things. So it's, um, it's just growing exponentially um, the areas that we need to be concerned about. Yeah. So as we... Uh, got the the Air Force uh, 24th here in San Antonio there's uh, also a, a 25th that is related to cyber somehow and we'll, we'll kind of maybe talk about this a little bit going into the break and then uh, after the the break we will uh, dive into some more of what the industry partnerships look like and uh, more in detail about uh, what's going on in the 24th and how uh, our military is thinking about cyber so the 25th here in town, what do what they do and how do you work with them as the 24th? So the 25th Air Force is an absolutely critical strategic partner in building our cyber mission force. So they are the intelligent, so 25th Air Force is responsible for global intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. So they own um, what we call the iron. They own the aircrafts, whether they're manned or unmanned. But more importantly, they own the people and the analytics. So it's the analysts that are absolutely key to providing the intel um, and threat-based intelligence information so that as cyber operators, we can make risk-informed decisions as we're conducting those cyberspace operations. So the 25th Air Force is absolutely critical to um, cyberspace operations. And one of the things that um, is common knowledge and will be happening probably within the next six months is that the 24th Air Force and the 25th Air Force will be merging underneath a single major command, which is the Air Combat Command. 
So, uh, mergers and, and acquisitions, except uh, That's right. acquisitions of the military means different things. It means buying stuff. But, uh, yeah, so the merging and changing, uh, we're going to go ahead and head into a bottom of the hour break here for news, traffic, and weather. You're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year Internet security veteran. Joined this week by the executive director of the 24th Air Force, Sherry Hansen. And, uh, um, I understand uh, civilian ranks to enlisted ranks, you're uh, effectively a colonel? Correct. Yes. So uh, the most senior uh, civilian official in the 24th right now? Correct. Correct. So uh, we will be back talking uh, all about uh, the 24th and uh, related issues here after the break. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Uh, we're here this week joined by Sherry Hansen, the executive director of the 24th Air Force. Uh, it's a cyber command inside of the Air Force. So if you missed uh, our program here before the break, you can catch the replay of this episode on Tuesday uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com as well as iTunes Pocket Casts, as well as iTunes Podcasts. Pocket Casts or our YouTube channel. Uh, so uh, as we went into the break, uh, Sherry had talked a little bit and I brought up about uh, the 24th and 25th uh, kind of coming together. And this is, uh, uh, we were discussing during that break here off air, a little bit more detail about that. And I want to let Sherry go into a little bit more detail about that. So the Chief of Staff of the Air Force a couple of months ago has made a decision to combine the 24th and 25th Air Force underneath a single major command, which will be the Air Combat Command. How we're going to do that has not been um, figured out yet, so there are still some courses of action. They're going to be presented at something that we call Corona, which is, which is um, a meeting where all of the four-star generals in the Air Force get together to make some of our very strategic decisions. So one of the big rocks that um, uh, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force has right now is really trying to further our multi-domain um, or our integrated multi multi-domain integrated cyberspace operations so what does that mean so right now we have land air sea and space as domains that are very well documented and that's part of how we operate um, as a joint force well we also have cyber as a domain and within cyber you have an electromagnetic spectrum that includes as we were talking about earlier signals intelligence but it's even bigger than that. It's intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, as well as electronic warfare. So those functional areas coming, as well as cyberspace operations. So trying to consolidate those functional areas into a single numbered air force is um, the objective here. But again, we don't know what it's gonna be called. We don't know if it's gonna be a two-star or a three-star command, but we do know that um, it's gonna be rather large so 24th Air Force right now has about um, 13,000 people, and the 25th Air Force has about 30,000 people 
um, around the world. So that's for the global ISR mission and the global um, cyber operations mission as well. So that uh, that sounds like it, as you talked about the the million users overall in the Air Force there, those those couple um, together will make up a good chunk of that. Yes, it will. So and I think as uh, well, many of our listeners may understand, but if the folks are on the program here for the first time, uh, when they hear cybersecurity or all these cyber things, they think the, the hackers movies, they think uh, computer science only. If, if I wanted to get involved in this, if I wanted a career in cyber, and you're not a, uh, a computer programmer uh, by trade, but you've had a, a career uh, going all through this now for a long time. So uh, can you uh, help walk our audience through how do you, what are some of the career options and things for them uh, if they're not in that computer program and they want to be involved in, in cyber? And I, as we had talked, I guess things start and move from a, a tactical through to a strategic as your career progresses as well? Um, for our senior leaders, yes, they typically will start out at a tactical level and then move to more of an operational level and then the strategic level, which is where our policy and strategic decisions are made. So I would like to point out, though, that in order to to serve, there's really three options. You have our active duty force. Actually, there's even more options than that. So we have our active duty force, which is officer and enlisted. So right out of high school, you can enlist in the Air Force and they will um, test you and then they will assign you to an Air Force specialty code to to a specific functional area. Officers require that you have a four-year degree, so you have to go to college, um, and then you can join our officer corps. But we also have our civilian corps. Again, we have um, career fields that um, have what we call a positive degree requirement, which means you have to have a four-year degree. But we also have lots of options that do not require degrees. So most of the time when you talk about cyber operations, as you've already referred to, we think about our Um, on-net operators that are trying to gain access into our adversary networks. Or we think about our developers and our coders that are developing a lot of our applications and our capability. But we also need, we need mission planners, we need program managers, we need analysts. So um, as an analyst, that would probably still require a degree, but um, it doesn't have to be an engineering degree. So if um, you have a business degree, if you have you know, non-technical degrees, there's always a place that we could try and find for you within and even within our cyber mission force. Yeah, and, and this is as uh, you, you also had, had talked a little bit about that 24th and 25th and the, some of the overall mission there on <clears throat> all the aspects of cyber is really touching now everything, not just its own separate isolated bubble uh, anymore. Now, uh, we talked a little before the break about um, how cyber impacts control systems and environmental systems and all of the the rest of the non-cyber command aspects as well. Correct. Yeah, so as you you get in there um, and are thinking about this, having a a little bit of a background knowledge in it is going to be important for everyone. Uh, And this applies out to the, the private sector as well if you... Um, have a, a CIO, but you haven't thought about a chief information security officer or someone looking at data and your your risk analysis around that. Um, if you're a, a, a large enterprise, it's likely time to uh, really, um, that CISO is uh, 
a, a key role to start looking at uh, hiring and filling. You're right. So the C-suite has a lot of the same challenges that we have in the Air Force, and that really is educating our senior leaders on what the threat really is. So, and to understand that cyberspace operations is not just information technology. It's not just email. It's not just our backbone of our um, technology infrastructure. But how are we going to secure our data? How are we going to ensure the availability of our data and the integrity of it? So even the C-suite, so our CEOs are starting to become very aware. So they're hiring chief information officers, chief information security officers. Some of them are even starting to hire chief data officers, so CDOs, so that they can take a look at the data and protecting it while the CIO or the CISO can take a look at a little bit more holistic um, from a different different perspective. Yeah, and uh, as you're, you're thinking about some of that reporting and command structure, the military thinks about these things all the time and uh, like whether you're allowed to gather information or use the information. The Air Force does this real well, but inside of uh, Enterprise a lot, you think CIO owns all my IT, I'll just make the CISO work for them, but those two are almost uh, and really kind of diametrically opposed to each other. The, the CIO's job is to deliver applications to the business, um, to uh, do that as efficiently and quickly as possible. And the CISO's job is to think about the, the risk there. So you might be giving your CIO a bonus target about application uptime, about uh, application schedule and delivery. And then you're going to give your CISO who reports to that person maybe a bonus for keeping everything safe. Uh, and you've got uh, two people directly in each other's chain of command with with diametrically opposed bonuses and goals. Uh, so as a, a CEO, um, potentially your CISO should work for your uh, general counsel uh, or somewhere else inside the organization rather than reporting to your CIO. Right. So as you pointed out, so they do have, um, I don't know if I would say diametrically opposed but there needs to be um, synergy there. There needs to be, they need to be synchronized and they do need to work together, just like um, within the Air Force. So we have our acquisitions community that is um, trying to deliver our capabilities as quickly and as cost efficiently as they can, but trying to bake cyber security into some of our existing um, or systems under development is very costly. So who's going to pay for that? Well, ultimately, the mission owner is the one who has the requirement and um, has to decide if they're going, you know, what they're not going to do in order to bake in that cybersecurity, because we do have a finite amount of resources that are available. Yeah, so that that, uh, ties into one of the other items I've got laid out here in my notes as we were uh, chatting off air about the uh, the cyber proving ground. So if I was a if you're an industry company out there and you're thinking about, well, I've got some technology that could help the Air Force secure X, Y or Z or uh, could help them on reconnaissance or other things. uh, Tell us a little bit about the cyber proving ground, how that works. And uh, when we put the archive blog post up on Tuesday after on air here we'll have specific links out to all of these uh, things that we've covered on air as well okay so the cyber proving ground um, stood up about two and a half years ago and it is a partnership between the 24th Air Force which is the um, the operational um, operational community with our Air Force lifecycle management center which is our acquisition community so between the two of us um, the operational community writes the requirements and then the acquisition community is the one who comes up with the technical solutions. So they're the ones that really need to interface with industry to come up with those technical solutions. 
But as the operational community, unless we're working with industry and some of our vendor partners, we don't know what the art of the possible is. So where do we need to be thinking about trying to increase our capabilities, um, either developing new ones or updating some that are existing? So we, we stood up what's called the Cyber Proving Ground. Um, it's underneath our 318th Cyber Operations Group. So you can go to the 24, you can Google 24th Air Force and on our um, front page, there's a link, I think it's in the upper right hand corner where you can submit a form. So um, we have an industry day once a month where you can come in, you can review what the, requir the operational requirements are. And then if you think that your capability meets one of those requirements, then you can become part of industry days um, which LCMC runs, um, the Lifecycle Management Center. So they will determine um, who gets to come in and um, be able to provide a presentation or a demonstration about your current capability and how that can help meet some of the operational requirements that they're trying to find technical solutions for. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, that. those industry days are at Port San Antonio here? Correct, they are. Yeah, and uh, for those, if you're hearing Port San Antonio for the first time, no, we, we don't have a body of water somewhere in town. Um, so this was uh, <laughs> developed um, when the, the Kelly Air Force Base made it. It's actually a rail port. Yeah, uh, when, the, when the Kelly Air Force Base made a transition uh, a number of years ago from being a, an active duty base, uh, and they uh, worked together uh, back at this point in time, I think it was with President Clinton, to uh, build out Port San Antonio there. Uh, and through that, um, there's been a, a really good uh, public and private sector um, collaboration there to meet these mission requirements and to uh, really develop both in the cyber, but there's also all sorts of aircraft maintenance and other things that goes on out at that uh, facility uh, now as well. So Port San Antonio is making a very deliberate effort to build a technology park. They actually just broke ground um, just a couple of months ago on a technology center because um, the 24th Air Force, even though we say we're part of um, Lackland Air Force Base, Joint Base San Antonio, uh, Joint Base Lackland San Antonio, um, we actually are located on Port San Antonio. So the technology center is really walking distance from from our operations center. Yeah, and you can walk to that operations center if you have a clearance. If you don't, <laughs> you don't get to walk to the operations center. Uh, we we can walk there. They can't walk to us. Yeah, and then. Uh, uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about Port San Antonio, we had Jim Persbach on the program, and you can uh, look that up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. So uh, out there you have uh, the Cyber Proving Ground, and this ties into, uh, I think it was an acronym, the military has almost as many of these as the, the IT uh, tech industry. So when you combine... Probably more. Maybe more. When you combine military and IT together, you get... Lots of them. So CRADA. So what is this and how, how does this work for these industry partners in, in the Department of Defense or the Air Force? So the Cooperative Research and Development Agreement is something that is, it's a legal document that allows us to partner with um, industry partners and vendors. And we're able to provide um, operational data so that they can um, provide demonstrations for us or they can fine tune a capability that they're working on. Maybe they're spending their own IRAD dollars internal to an organization, but they think that there's a military application, but they need data to be able to provide that or to somehow um, change the capability of their commercially available um, uh, tools that they're making available and, and, and developing. 
So we have something called a CRADA, and we have we currently have 25 of them with different industry partners. So it's a, I believe it's a five-year agreement where we work on research and development projects with a particular industry partner. Yeah. So uh, if you wanted to learn more about that, uh, Port San Antonio and the, the 24th uh, Air Force websites are a great place to, to start. Uh, as I think you know, this is one that we will uh, continue to see growth, investment, and uh, opportunity there to uh, collaborate, work together, uh, make America safer, make all of our industrial systems safer. Um, and many of those industrial systems, uh, as those improvements get made, um, the companies sell those all around the world. So you're helping not just to make stuff safer here. You're help, helping to make things safer everywhere for, for everyone. That's right. Uh, and uh, so as the, the, uh, the Air Force here goes through uh, training, we talked about some of this training in, in a fair amount of detail with uh, Tech Sergeant Baker, who does some of the recruiting. Uh, it is, so you have some different training areas. As she talked about the holistic program of enlisting into the reserves and then going to your, your tech training. But um, some of that occurs here or some of the paths are through here or into Florida. Can you help me maybe uh, cover some of the things we didn't on that episode? Okay, so um, I think we were talking just a few minutes ago about the paths to be able to have a career within the Department of Defense. So within the Air Force, you know, you have your officer, you're enlisted in your civilians um, across all the services. But let's not forget our total force um, partners as well. So we have um, reserve units as well as guard units that are absolutely integral to supporting our cyberspace operations and especially in our operations center. They help um, augment when, the, when we are in the middle of exercises and different experiments. So in order for them to be able to do that, everybody has to have a standardized um, way of being able to train. So the Air Force has seven cyber weapon systems. We have one command and control. We have one offensive. And then we have five defensive weapon systems. So we have to be trained on all of those. And um, the schoolhouses um, are located in a couple of different places. But as we send people through that particular pipeline, we um, are also building up what we call our cyber protection teams. That is here in San Antonio. The teams are located here in San Antonio and at Scott Air Force Base. So most of our training is done at Keesler Air Force Base in Florida. Although we just opened up a detachment, I think it was about two years ago in 2015, where we have pushed or brought through about 500 airmen um, that are now trained um, for our cyber protection team. So we have training centers here in San Antonio, but it's new, um, just a couple of years old, and our schoolhouse is actually at Keesler Air Force Base. Yeah, so if, if you're uh, out there listening and thinking about um, getting into all this technology stuff, you've got uh, an aptitude and, and an attitude where you're excited about it, um, and you're then looking at maybe the costs of some of these private sector training programs, they can be pretty expensive. If you uh, choose to go the Air Force route, um, you not only get the training paid for, you get paid while you're going to training. That's right. So one of the things I'd like to bring up is um, we have a program called Stripes for, or Stripes for Certs. So right out of high school, if there's, and I don't have the list of certifications in front of me, but you could probably Google um, Certs for Stripes or Stripes for Certs and um, be able to find out what certifications if you enlist in the Air Force, um, you can get up to, I believe it's three stripes um, out of basic training. So that's um, 
uh, I would say, a, a remarkable step forward for us to be able to reward, um, especially some of our high schoolers who, while they're in high school, have pursued some of these different certifications. Yeah, and uh, if you're you're in high school, you're in middle school, and you're thinking about this route, uh, check and see if your school's got a Cyber Patriot program. Uh, that can help you get some of the certifications. It can also yeah. get you started on some of the uh, operational simulations of what is it like to, to do this work uh, for the Air Force or in the private sector. And you can learn and see uh, while you, you, you think you're excited about it, you might be interested in it, you'll, you'll find out very quickly on Cyber Patriot uh, if you, you really are. Uh, if you want to learn more about Cyber Patriot, we've had a, a handful of past episodes of different uh, coaches uh, on, as well as some of the, uh, the folks involved uh, in the program itself directly. Uh, you can look on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. So Cyber Patriot, I can't speak highly enough about that. So um, we have a number of our um, uh, civilian as well as officer and enlisted corps that are mentors to um, some of the Cyber Patriot teams. San Antonio has done extremely well in the national competition. So we wholeheartedly support Cyber Patriot um, for middle school and high school for both. I think that we were talking about um, a little bit about the um, different career opportunities. And if you start in high school, you have to have some math. If you want to go a more technical route, you need to start in high school with some type of STEM program. There's prep programs, there's pre-engineering programs that um, Alamo Community Colleges provides during the summer for, um, for all four grades in high school. You're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. Uh, so I'm joined this week by Sherry Hansen, uh, Executive Director of the 24th Air Force here. Um, she's uh, headed off to a, a new mission for herself uh, uh, to the War College here. Um, just as we're uh, putting this episode on the air, this will be a goodbye uh, for San Antonio, but not farewell for you. So um, this is actually, as I was talking to her on one of the breaks, this, uh, this is home. Uh, so she spent a lot of her time and career up in the, the Northeast, uh, as you do in that whole uh, D.C. and Virginia area, uh, but when you're involved in the Department of Defense, when you're involved in uh, cyber specifically, there's uh, quite a bit of it in that area. So you're going to be uh, back up there for a few years, uh, but then hopefully back down here again in San Antonio? That's right. So this is home. Um, I'm passionate about this mission. I think San Antonio is not only Military City USA, but I think it's Cyber City USA as well. We're making a mark um, working with um, the city, the county, and the state as well as um, our military organizations. I think we're really putting San Antonio on the map as um, not just a, a, a military um, cyber operations community, but a, a technology ecosystem, a smart city that um, the, the city and the county are very deliberately trying to build um, as well as um, you know to be able to integrate that with military operations as well. Yeah, and you, you look at the support here all the way, as you said, city, county, uh, through the whole educational ecosystem uh, at the Cyber Patriot programs, then on up into the college level with uh, your involvement out at UTSA. But then, um, and I, I, I believe we have uh, five or six NSA centers of excellence here at our, our four year universities uh, around town. And um, in the, the Cyber Patriot world, to brag a little bit for our, our great teams here in San Antonio. Uh, we're second, I think, as a city behind Los Angeles, which is five times our size or four times our size. So I'm pretty happy to be uh, second, uh, kind of neck and neck there with uh, playing up in that weight class. 
So as uh, we're uh, looking to uh, close uh, out the program here, it's been wonderful talking with you this week. Uh, if you're just turning on the radio dial right now and you wanted to hear this whole episode, uh, you can uh, listen to it next Tuesday on iTunes, Podcasts, uh, Pocket Cast, uh, YouTube, or go to our website at www.cybertalkradio.com to get linked through to any of those as well. Thank you very much. Um, it's been my honor to be here, and I just want to say that um, our most critical element for cyberspace operations is not copper or silicon. It's carbon. It's our people. It's our innovative and audacious airmen um, who are the centerpiece of our cyberspace operational capabilities. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about AI and some of these other different pieces. We've had a number of programs uh, uh, about AI and all these things specifically of what the machines are capable of doing. But uh, in this cyberspace, uh, the people are going to be the centerpiece for uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, I think we can uh, augment folks just as the if you go into the flight systems or all the other areas with heads up displays and things, we're finally getting to where the uh, information cyber folks uh, are having the equivalent of that to where something's helping them pre-process information. But the decision making is going to stay in the hands of, of people from now and into the, the future. I agree. It's been um, my honor and my privilege to to serve the airmen of the 24th Air Force. But even just as importantly, to see the evolution of how far we've come, um, whether it's developing our capabilities, whether it's the way that we're commanding and controlling um, um, our capabilities and our airmen. But it's uh, absolutely been an honor, and um, thank you for yeah. having me on the show. Have a good time up there at the uh, the War College, and uh, look forward to uh, having you uh, in the D.C. area afterwards, uh, helping educate uh, all the folks there about what's really going on out there on the Internet. 